0: Let your Bibles turn to the book of Mark! As we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Mark this summer, Mark chapter 8, we're going to be picking up in verse 27. We left off in verse 26 last week. It's on page 408. If you might be using one of the Bibles you picked up when you came in this morning, as you're finding your way there, I want to give you a couple of updates on two of our missionary families that we support right here at the Orchard Church. You know, the scripture says we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so we have both of those that I want to share with you with you today. Uh, first of all, one we're going to celebrate and rejoice, uh, the Resga family, our missionaries to Orizaba, Mexico, were with us just a few weeks ago. They shared a need with our church to raise about $10,000 uh, to buy a car. You guys were so incredibly generous. We, in one Sunday, you guys gave $10,000, enough to buy that car. They made it safely, yeah. They made it safely back to Mexico, and there's their car that we bought them, little Nissan, and there's a couple of the kids there, and so we uh, celebrate, and praise the Lord, they made it back safely. They were able to get a car, and they're back doing the ministry and being an extension of the Orchard Church spreading the gospel in Orizaba, Mexico, and then... uh, On a sad note for one of our missionary families, Um, we support Paul and Joanne Clark. We've supported them for several years here at the Orchard Church. They're missionaries to Bogota, Colombia. We found out a couple of years ago that um, Joanne um, had cancer. And she's been battling that for a couple of years. We've been praying for her um, all the time, for her healing and for her cancer. And I got news yesterday that she passed away at noon uh, yesterday. And um, just incredible um, servants of the Lord. I've known Paul and Joanne since I was a kid. His dad was my pastor growing up. And so I've known them for many years. So it was sad news, but I have no doubt in my mind that when Joanne reached heaven, That God said, well done, that thou good and faithful servant. Because they have served faithfully for over 30 years as missionaries in Bogota, Colombia. And so, let's just go ahead and pray for them uh, this morning before we jump into the Word. Lord, I just want to rejoice and thank you, Lord. for the praise for the the, the uh, resgas that they were able to get back safely to Mexico and be able to purchase a car and we had a part in that and we praise you for that. And Lord, we pray right now for our other missionary family, for the Clarks, Lord, who are, are grieving right now for Paul Um, Lord, with the loss of his wife and for that family, that you would just surround them with your comfort. You are the God of all comfort and your mercy and your grace uh, during this time of grieving. But we do also rejoice and praise you knowing that you have answered our prayers. She is healed. She is healed in the greatest way she could be healed now and that she is in heaven with you. No more suffering and no more pain and she's experiencing the glory of heaven with you today and we are thankful for that and just pray for comfort for the family in the days ahead. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen encourage you to continue praying for the Clark family over the next uh, few days and weeks. Um, it has been said that a secret is something you tell one person at a time. That's how one person defined a secret. Something you tell one person at a time. Uh, maybe you've heard this phrase. You can help me finish it. Secrets don't make... Friends, but then somebody else added on to that and said secret don't, secrets don't make friends, but friends make secrets. There's even a Facebook page call, called that. And I don't know how, how you guys feel about secrets um, when you think about secrets. Let me let me ask this. How many of y'all like secrets? You like to hear a secret. You, you like them. Okay? Nobody likes secrets. Okay? How many of y'all don't like secrets? You don't like them. Okay? Well, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with secrets. I'll, I'll be honest where I stand with this. I love when somebody tells me a secret. Like, hey, I gotta tell you something you can't tell anybody. You know, I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, I get some inside information. I'm just being honest. I like that. I enjoy that. Like, oh, I got a secret. You know, my wife sometimes says, I gotta tell you a secret and I don't tell the kids and all this kind of thing. And my wife has learned with me, she has to be very specific. Don't tell anyone because I get excited real easy I know that surprises you guys and so sometimes she'll tell me something and she won't say don't tell anybody and then I start telling people she's like you weren't supposed to tell anybody I'm like you didn't tell me that and so I love secrets whenever somebody tells me one and I feel like I got some inside information but I hate when somebody else has a secret and I don't get in on it I hate that. It drives me crazy. You know, sometimes my wife will, you'll have, I got a secret. What is it? I can't tell you. Oh, you know, it's like, just kill me now. And so I have this love-hate relationship with, with secrets. Well, did you know that God has some secrets? That might surprise you this morning. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He has some secrets, but those things which are revealed belong to us. God has some secrets and sometimes he reveals them to us. And that's our title for this week and next week in uh, this next passage in the book of Mark. I've entitled it secrets. Jesus is going to reveal three spiritual secrets to his disciples. And we're just going to look at one of them today. We'll look at the other two next week. And these secrets were very important for the disciples to understand and apply to their life. And they also apply to us today. So let me give you the first secret. If you like, like me getting in on a secret, here's the First secret I'm gonna give you today. Now, this really may not be a big secret to some of you because you've heard it before, and you can probably help me finish this. No pain, no, no gain. gain. That's the first secret Jesus is gonna to reveal today to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, picking it up in verse 27. Now, Jesus has been with his disciples and he's been preparing his disciples to hear these secrets. He's gonna reveal some secrets to him, and the big secret is this he's gonna die, he's gonna be crucified. And he's going to rise again. Up to this point, the disciples hadn't really heard much about that. They didn't understand that. And Jesus has been preparing his disciples for this secret, this news. And he's going to take them to a special place. He's been around the Sea of Galilee. He's going to take them 20 miles north to Caesarea Philippi. It's about 20 miles north of Bethsaida where we were at last week around the Sea of Galilee on that northeast shore. And he's going to take them to the foot of Mount Hermon. It's a mountain you can go see today. It's about 10,000 feet. And he's going to be at the foot of that mountain and he's going to reveal these secrets to his disciples. And there's uh, history tells us there was a marble temple that Rome had built there for the glory of Rome, but Jesus is going to talk about his glory with his disciples. Now, there are four things that occur during the revealing of this first secret, no pain, no gain. And the first one you have in your notes is this. There's a confession that is made, a confession. Let's pick it up in verse 27. Now, Jesus and his disciples went out To the towns of Caesarea Philippi. Took that 20 mile journey north. And on the road he asked his disciples saying to them. Who do men say that I am? Because there was a lot of debate about who Jesus was. So they answered. Well some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say you're one of the other prophets. And he said to them. But who do you say that I am? Disciples. Who do you say? And Peter answered and said to him. Well you're the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And there's a confession that is made here. Now, if, that, that question Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? If, if, if I were to go up to you guys today, as you were coming in and I was greeting you at the door, and said, hey, who do people say I am? What do they say about me? You guys would probably be like, that's kind of a weird question. That's kind of prideful. You know, what, you want to know what everybody thinks about you. But not so when Jesus asked this question. This is one of the most important questions that you can ever answer or be asked. Who do you say Jesus is? The answer to that question has eternal ramifications. It determines eternal destiny. I mean, how you answer that question, who you say Jesus is, is a matter of life and death. If you agree, say yes. This is a really important question. Now in verse 28, the disciples say, well, there's various different, some people say John the Baptist, some people think maybe you're Elijah or one of the other prophets, and there's all these different opinions about who Jesus is. You know, in 2,000 years, that hasn't changed. There are many different opinions today about who Jesus is. If you were to go out and go down to the mall and ask 10 people, who is Jesus, you might get 10 different answers. If you were to ask a Muslim today, most of them would tell you, well, Muhammad said Jesus was the greatest prophet. Now, they won't accept him as God or God's son, but they think he was one of the prophets. A Jehovah Witness would say, well, he, we believe he's Michael the archangel who was created and showed up. If you ask a Mormon today, they would probably tell you, well, we believe he was a man who became a god, like they teach we can become a god, and that he was once Lucifer's brother, Lucifer who became Satan or the devil. That's what they would tell you. Uh, A new agent would tell you, well, Jesus is more of a consciousness than a real person. So just as there were many views about who Jesus was 2,000 years ago when he asked his disciples, there are many different views today about who Jesus is. And you have this in your notes. This is very important. Don't miss this. It's not enough to have an opinion of Jesus. You must have the right opinion. It's not enough to just have an opinion. A lot of people have an opinion about Jesus. What's important is, do you have the right opinion? Because it's a matter of life and death and eternity. And when Jesus said to his disciples here in verse 29, Disciples, I know there's all these opinions about me, but who do you say that I am? It's the most important question anyone can ever answer, is that question. And it's very personal. Notice he said, I know there's all these opinions, but who do you say And I would challenge all of us this morning, Orchard Church, everyone that is here, no matter how you ended up here this morning, has that question been settled in your heart and your life? Who do you say Jesus is? It's a very important question and you know sometimes I talk to people about who do you believe Jesus is and they'll say well you know my parents were, were Christians and they had these beliefs and so you know that's what they believed or or my grandparents you know my grandfather was a pastor and so you know and they'll talk about what everybody else thinks not who do your parents say Jesus is who do your grandparents say not even well my pastor says Jesus no who do you say Jesus is and the only answer that gives you eternal life is Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Romans ten nine says it this way. If we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. But any other opinion other than he is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is wrong. Verse 29, Peter confesses. This is the confession. He confesses. And he's kind of the spokesman for all of the disciples here. And he's like, and he's like, well, you're you're the Christ. As soon as he said that Christ, they knew exactly what that meant. Because that's what they had been looking for. That's the one the prophets have been foretelling would come for for hundreds of years. And Peter answers correctly, you're the Christ. That word Christ means the promised Messiah, the God's Son, the Savior of the world. And so Peter nailed it. I mean, he, he got it right. Now, in verse 30, it's kind of interesting. He asks them, who do you say that I am? They say, Christ. They get the answer right. And then what does he tell them? Don't tell anybody. Just the opposite today. We're supposed to tell everybody the truth about Jesus and who he is. Amen? And I had somebody even last week, as we've been going through this gospel, there's been several times where Jesus is like, shh, keep this a secret. Keep it on the down low. Don't tell anybody who I am. You, that's kind of weird. Well, why, why did Jesus tell them that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the disciples had many more things to learn about who Jesus was. He's about to reveal a big secret to them that they don't know yet. And so if they had started telling everybody, they would have messed it up. And so they still had a lot to learn. And number two, it wasn't Jesus' time to die yet. Because just as soon as word got out that he was claiming to be the Messiah, what did they do? They arrested him and they, they crucified him. And God had a very specific time and point that was to happen. And the time was not yet. That's why Jesus was telling them that. Now that they had confessed Jesus is Lord, he now is going to reveal the big secret to them. So we move from a confession to confusion. Because when he reveals this secret, at first the disciples are very confused about this secret that is being revealed. We see this take place in verse 31. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the son of god must what's the next word church suffer many things be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes the religious leaders during that time and be killed and after 3 days rise again there it is there's the secret they 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 did, they hadn't heard this yet they didn't understand they're like what you're going to you're going to suffer you're going to be killed you're going to die. You're going to rise again. I mean, this, this would have just blown them away, this secret he was sharing. Verse 32, he spoke the word openly to them. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Bad idea. To try to rebuke Jesus, that's not, this is not going to turn out well, okay? I mean, one minute Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? He's like, oh, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And the next thing you turn around and he's rebuking Jesus. This is not going to go well. Verse 33, but when he turned around and he looked at all the disciples, so he's addressing all of them, not just Peter, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. I told you this wouldn't go well. For you are not mindful of the things of God. You're not thinking like God and divine thoughts. You're thinking like a man. You're thinking only on the human level. And so this was very confusing. This secret stunned the disciples. I mean, you could just see their mouths dropping and wondering why, wait a minute. You just, we just said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of God, you're the promised one. And now you're saying the religious leaders who of all people should be looking for you and recognizing you, they're gonna reject you. And they're gonna be the ones that cause you to suffer. And then you're gonna be killed and you're gonna die. I mean, we thought the Messiah was going to come and bring in this kingdom and was going to rule and reign and conquer, and we certainly want that because we're under the oppression of Rome right now. And so this was very confusing. And as we've said throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, when he came the first time, did not bring or was not offering a literal physical kingdom. He was offering a spiritual kingdom. Now, there is a literal physical kingdom coming, amen? We learned all about that in the book of Revelation. We went through that book. And so they were very confused by this, what Jesus, this secret, he had just told them. And and Peter goes from faith one minute, minute to foolishness the next. One minute he's giving the right answers, and the next minute he's really foolish trying to rebuke Jesus. And before we jump on Peter too much, don't we often do the same thing? We come to church, and we sing these praise and worship songs to God, and we hear the word of God, and we say, yes, and that's right, and amen, and we're full of faith. And many times before we even leave the parking lot in the car, we're questioning God, and oh, this is going to happen, and what are we going to do about this, and what are we going to do about that? And we flop back and forth from faith to foolishness many times, just like Peter did. Now, here was the problem here. Peter didn't understand the real secret. No pain no gain. And what Jesus is trying to teach him. For Jesus to be glorified, he had to first suffer. Suffering leads to glory. No pain, no gain. And you've heard that before. No pain, no gain. You know, a lot of times you hear it when you talk about athletes and things like that. Um, Gary and I were working out yesterday over at Reunion, and we go in there, try to get in there about three times a week. And so we were in there uh, working out, and uh, Terry, our guitar player, and his son, they happened to show up. And I've seen his son in there many times. Never seen Terry before until Saturday. And we were like, hey, great to see you, man. And yeah, I know. I need to get in here. And so we were having some fun. We were kind of teasing him. And I said, hey, no pain, no gain. That's what my message is about tomorrow. And you know what? Terry said to me, he goes, well, I haven't had any pain and I've had plenty of gain. (laughs) So uh, that kind of messes up the theory a little bit. No pain, no gain. I said, I can use that tomorrow. Thanks, Terry. Here's the deal. They didn't get it. They they, they were only thinking of the glory of Jesus and the glory of the Messiah. And they weren't thinking about the pain and suffering that would lead up to that. Now, had they remembered the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies of the Messiah, they shouldn't have been so confused by this. Because all throughout the Old Testament, it does talk a lot about the glory of the Messiah, but it also talks a lot about the pain and suffering. You could check out places like Isaiah chapter 53, Psalm chapter 22 gives great detail about the suffering and the crucifixion and of, the, of the Messiah, of Jesus that, that would come. But they kind of had overlooked that. They just wanted, they were like us. They're human. They wanted to focus on the gain. They wanted to focus on the glory. They wanted to focus on the victory. They wanted to skip over the pain that leads to the gain. Now here was another problem. Think about this. Because there was a saying during that time that is still true today. As goes the master, so goes the student. These were the disciples of Jesus, the students, the followers. If there was a cross and suffering in Jesus' future, then there was probably going to be one in theirs. And they were probably like, whoa, wait, time out. We didn't sign up for that. They were very concerned that if if he's going to suffer and he's going to die... And we're his followers, that might be in our future as well. Yikes! You can see why this was confusing, this secret they were being told uh, by Jesus. The disciples wanted the gain. They wanted the victory, but they didn't want the pain that led to the gain. You know, history tells us that 11 of the 12 disciples died martyrs' deaths. So it was true what Jesus was telling them. There would be pain before gain. Now, get this in your notes. Here's Satan's philosophy. Here's what he wants us to believe. Glory without suffering. Now, that sounds good, but it's not true. And and it's a lie, and we know it comes from the father of lies. The Bible tells us that Satan is the originator and father of lies. But he lies to us, and his philosophy is you can have glory without suffering. God's philosophy is this, suffering leads to glory. Suffering leads to glory. You know, Satan's always trying to get us to take the easy way, isn't he? The shortcuts, the easy way out. You don't have to work. You don't have to put in any efforts. You can just have it now. But it's a lie. Because in the end, it doesn't pan out the way we had hoped. I mean, if you want a great marriage, it takes work. Amen? Married couples, I mean, it doesn't happen by accident. You look at a couple that has a great marriage. You know, my my mother and father-in-law just celebrated 50 years anniversary last week. 50 years. We need to celebrate that. That. Listen, that didn't happen by accident. There were some some times of pain. I'm, I'm sure there were some times of work. But look what they can Enjoy now. 50 years of marriage. If you want to have a great relationship, parents, with your kids, it doesn't happen by accident. It's not a coincidence. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes work. If you want to get ahead in your job, in your career, then you gotta work. You gotta put in the effort. It's not you gotta get up early. There's gonna be some suffering. There's gonna be some pain. But boy, we like the raise, don't we? We like the promotion. We like to get ahead. I Listen, I say this all the time. If you want to get ahead in the workplace, just work. There's little competition. Just ask some bosses and employers. There's little competition. Just show up on time. You know, work hard. Have a good attitude. There's, there's some pain, but there's gain in the end. I love what Thomas Edison said. He said it this way. Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and it looks like work. I love that no pain no gain but pain comes gain and Jesus tries to clear up the confusion with his disciples about what he's just revealed, the secret to them. And so he gives us probably the greatest detailed description about discipleship. I mean, we're a church that's all about discipleship and making disciples. I mean, that's, that's our number one goal is to glorify God by making disciples. And so he gives right here the definition of true discipleship to help clear up some confusion. Look at verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, to be my disciple, to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then he goes on to explain it. For whoever desires to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. I mean, that that's, that's kind of a, seems like an oxymoron, but it's, it's not. It's true. This is what true discipleship is about. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the what? Glory, the victory of his father with his holy angels. Jesus tries to clear up this confusion By teaching that there's a price to pay for true discipleship. But that price and that suffering leads to glory. There's some pain, but there's gain in the end. And let me just give you real quickly, and you have it in your notes, three conditions that Jesus gives us here for true discipleship. To be a true disciple and follower of Christ. When he says here in verse 34 that you must deny, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. First, he says he must deny himself. Number one, we must surrender ourselves completely to Jesus to be his true disciple. And now denying self, which is what Jesus tells us to do here, is different than self-denial. Self-denial we do all the time. We say, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to deny myself of desserts and these kind of things. And we make those choices. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says deny self. Denying self means to fully surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and determine to obey his will at any cost. That's different self-denial. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Many of you have heard this verse. He says, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brother and Christians, by the mercy of God that you present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. That means there might be some suffering. There might be some work. There might be some pain. Holy, acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Number one, to be Jesus' true disciple, we must surrender ourselves completely to Jesus. Number two, we must identify with Jesus in suffering. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Your cross. Identify with Jesus in suffering. Paul talked about this in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what, church? Persecution. Persecution, now listen, I've traveled the world over and seen how in other countries people are treated when they name the name of Christ. We really have it pretty easy here, folks, at least for now in America. You know, maybe a little ridiculing, laughed at, mocked. There are many countries today to name the name of Christ, to follow the Lord and believers baptism, you will lose your job, you will lose your house, you'll lose your family, you'll lose everything. Everything. We really don't have much to complain about But to be a true follower of Christ Sometimes there's pain Sometimes there's suffering Sometimes there's persecution Now listen This blows out of the water The theology and teaching Of the TV evangelists With the pimped out hair The Rolex and Rolls Royce That says if you accept Jesus You'll never have anything bad As a matter of fact Everything great will happen You can't teach that And teach the Bible church Let me just be honest with you You just can't as a matter of fact, sometimes the more you follow Christ, the tougher it gets. Not the easier it gets. There's, there's pain, but there's gain in the end. What, let me ask you, what is your Christianity costing you as a disciple of Christ? What cross do you have to bear? I like the way one writer said it. A Christianity that costs nothing is worth nothing. Christianity that costs nothing is worth nothing. And you know what? As believers in Christ, when we suffer for the name of Christ, it's a privilege to just suffer a little bit for the one who suffered on a cross for our eternal life. And that's what sometimes happens as true disciples. And number three, true discipleship means this. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and what is the third thing? And follow Jesus. We must follow Jesus wherever he leads. But believing that it's best. You know, we shouldn't as Christians, when Jesus leads us somewhere, go, Okay, I'll go. We should be excited. Because God only, do you believe that God only wants the best for you in your life? Absolutely. He's never going to lead you astray. Listen, there are a lot of people and things that can lead us astray. You can bank on it. Jesus will never, ever, ever lead you astray. And whatever he leads you to or he sometimes leads you away from, it is only for our good. And a true disciple says... I am your disciple, I will follow you wherever you lead me, because I believe you're only going to do what is best. I love the way, one of my favorite verses, and probably yours, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will what, church? Direct your path, your life. Be willing to follow Him wherever He leads. Now, you listen to those three things. i got to deny myself, i got to take up my cross, i got to follow Jesus. I mean, what is the reward for that? You see, Satan promises glory, but in the end, you receive suffering and defeat. God promises suffering, but in the end, you receive glory and victory. Amen? Just the opposite. You know, I think about Joanne Clark. I mean, she went through some pain and suffering with the cancer the last couple of years. But right now, she is experiencing the glory of heaven. She is completely healed. You know, sometimes we pay, pray for healing for people and, and we should pray for healing. But you know what? Sometimes God heals them in the greatest way and that's to take them home. And all that pain and, and suffering is worth it. Now she's with her Lord and Savior in heaven. In order to encourage the disciples of this glory and victory though, you know, because this, this really blew them out of the water. You know, that d- Jesus was gonna die and that they might have to die and suffer and, and all of this. Jesus, in order to encourage them And get them through this confusion. He gives them... A sneak preview of what his glory is going to be like and and how we're going to share in that glory you know you go to the movie theater and and some people hate them and some people love them you know how many of you guys you like to get to the theater early so you can see the previews of the upcoming movies all right some. how many of you are like no i just try to get there just in time for the movie you know i'm gonna yeah okay well those that like it you get there and you watch the movie previews and you know they get you all excited oh man and they they make the, the movie coming up look so everyone i mean i i say like after every preview I'm kind of a sucker I'm like oh we got to see that one oh we got to see that one And Shelly's like you say that after every one I'm like they make it look so good you know well Jesus is going to do that for his disciples they're they're kind of bummed right now I mean they this secret has just knocked them off their feet and so he they're thinking of the pain but he's going to give them a glimpse of the gain and the glory that he's going to experience And that we're all going to experience in this sneak preview. We've seen a confession and confusion, but now there's a confirmation. A confirmation that after pain, there is gain. Suffering leads to glory. Look look at chapter 9, verse 1. And he said, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. He's like, I'm going to give you a glimpse of my second coming, the glory that's going to come when I come the second time. Now, when Jesus said this to his disciples, he said, Some of you are standing here. You're not going to die until you see the second coming of me and my glory. Now, either there's some really old dudes walking around that we've missed or Jesus had something else in mind. I think he did. Watch what happens. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. This was the sum he was talking about. He took these three disciples from the twelve, Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain. It was probably the mountain they were at the base of, Mount Hermon, about 10,000 feet apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. This in the Greek is the word metamorphotai. It's where we get metamorphosis. And he was changed. He was transfigured. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I mean, this is better than tide could do. I mean, it's so white. It's shining. It's glory. It's blazing, blinding light. And, and, and Jesus isn't the only one there. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, three places of worship. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Another bad idea of Peter's. There's only one person who deserves our worship, and it's Jesus and he's going to get reminded of that by God himself he's going to get rebuked again and and, and and watch this he he gets this idea let's make three worship tabernacles for you, Moses, and Elijah because he did not know what to say because they were greatly afraid there's a great lesson in that verse right there if you don't know what to say don't say anything (laughs) Peter's scared he's like let's make some tabernacles you know bad idea bad idea and a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear Elijah. Hear Moses. Know what he say. Hear him. Hear, don't, don't get caught up in Moses and Elijah. Get caught up in Jesus. Can I just, I'm, I'm going to give you a freebie right here, okay? This is not cost you anything extra. Any religions today that try to put the focus on anyone or anything other than Jesus, they need to read this story right here. God himself comes down because Peter's about to go, let's, let's worship Elijah, let's worship Moses. And God himself says, I don't think so, only Jesus. It's an important lesson right there. Boy, it got quiet in here. (laughs) Suddenly, you guys can connect the dots. Suddenly, when they looked around, and God, to help them out, does this. They saw no one anymore, but only who? Jesus. Jesus. Because that's the only one that really mattered And deserved the glory And the worship and the honor So there's this confirmation Now there's a lesson in this progression Watch what has happened in this story here I know we have the chapter breaks And all that was put in by man later To help us find our way around the Bible But as this read as one continuous story What happened? First Jesus tells his disciples He's going to suffer and he's going to die There's going to be pain But the very next thing he does To confirm the glory, the gain at the end of the pain Is he goes up onto the mountain And he shows it's the Mount of Transfiguration what he's going to be like in his glory at the second coming he blows Peter, James and John away with this he's like I know I've been talking about pain but let me give you a glimpse of the gain isn't this cool what Jesus is doing to encourage his disciples but it ought to encourage all of us as well You may be going through pain right now. You may be going through suffering. You may be going through persecution as a believer. But you know what Colossians says? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with Him in glory, in gain, in victory. The secret that's being revealed here is no pain, no gain. Yes, Jesus would suffer. Yes, he would die. But he would rise again and he'll come back again in glory and victory. Now notice in verse 5, as I pointed it out, Peter has this bright idea that he wants to you know, build these tabernacles on top of this mountain. It's like, hey, let's just put a mountain resort up here, you know, so we can just stay up here and we can worship, you know, you and Elijah and Moses, and we can just enjoy the gain and enjoy the victory, this mountaintop experience. But Jesus had to go back to the valley because he had to face the pain before this gain would come. You know, human thinking is, is like this. this is what Peter was thinking, you know, like we think. He was thinking, let's just get to the victory. Let's just get to the gain. Let's just stay on top of the mountain with Jesus and, and enjoy this. But discipleship, he's just told them. Discipleship means denying self, taking up our cross, and following Jesus into the valley below. Because that's where needs are met. In the valley And Jesus, his work wasn't done. And you know what? As long as we're still here and we have breath, our work's not done. Amen? He's got things for us to do. And I say this, don't keep your Christianity to yourself. Don't keep the Orchard Church to yourself. Don't just come in here and enjoy this and not share it with other people. And those of you that have been discipled in our discipleship ministry, don't just enjoy that, okay, now I have a lot more Bible knowledge and the next time we play Bible trivia, I'm going to whip everybody. Don't just get all excited about that and keep it to yourself. Get in the valley. Go through the pain sometimes it is of meeting with somebody else and sharing that and discipling. That's what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here. No, we're not. It's not time to stay up on the mountain and enjoy the victory right now. We got to get back in the valley. And you'll see this next week. As soon as they come down off the mountain, there's some needs to be met. There's some problems brewing down below. We'll get to that next week. But Jesus confirms this secret in this progression no pain, no gain. But after suffering comes glory. So we've seen a confession, then the confusion of the disciples, then the confirmation of the gain after the pain. And then there's one more thing that happens that closes this out, and that's correction. Jesus has to make a correction. With some beliefs and teachings of the disciples they were confused with. Look at verse 9 through 13. And that's as far as we'll go today. Now as they came down from the mountain. He commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen. Until the son of man had risen from the dead. Because you see many people. By the time you get to the cross. There's very few disciples and people following Jesus. Because all they see is the pain. But after he rises from the dead. Then these same Peter, James and John get to tell everybody. This isn't the end of the story. And aren't we glad that's not the end of the story? You know, he, he is risen again. He's coming back. And so they had to wait to share that. And they did. And so they kept his word to themselves, questioning what the rising of the, from the dead meant. But they will figure this out. And they ask him, saying, but we're confused about something, Jesus. Help us out here. We need, we need some correction. Why do the scribes say Elijah must come first? And he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man, Jesus, that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? He says, There's got to be pain before gain. But I say to you, Elijah has also already come. And they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Okay, now that may have just confused you even further. What's Jesus saying here? The secret that he had revealed to the disciples, they understood God's plan a little better. That he's going to have to suffer, he's going to have to die, but then there's going to be glory in the end. They understood that a little better, but they still were confused about Elijah coming first to prepare the way for the Messiah. Because the Old Testament, the last book of your Old Testament is what book? Malachi, or Malachi, the Italian prophet is also known as... Malachi. And at the very end of Malachi chapter 3, you know what it says? Before the Messiah would come, Elijah would show up first. So they're going, okay, Jesus, you're here, but we haven't seen Elijah Or was it this thing that just happened on the mountain But then you just took us up on the mountain And you showed us your glory We know you're coming again And so they needed to be corrected I mean they were like Had Elijah already come and they missed him Or was Elijah still yet to come Or was the Elijah on the mountain Was that it And so Jesus clears it up through this correction What does he say in verse 12 In verse 12 he says Elijah is coming This is still yet to happen Do you remember when we went to the book of Revelation and during the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation on the earth, just before the second coming of Christ in his glory, there are two witnesses that show up in Revelation chapter 11. If you remember that, say yes. yes. Guess who one of them is? Elijah. We're not positive of the other, but I believe it's probably Moses It only makes sense that it was Moses and Elijah that were on the mountain at the transfiguration, a picture of the second coming. That's really what that is. Uh, We know for sure one of them is Elijah. And so Elijah is yet to come as one of the two witnesses right before the second coming of Jesus Christ in his glory. But then it's kind of confusing because Jesus says in verse 13, but Elijah has also come. He's already come. Well, what was that? You remember the forerunner of Jesus? When we opened the Gospel of Mark, the first person we were introduced to before Jesus, the Messiah, showed up on the scene. There was a forerunner. Who was it? John the Baptist. You go. Well, yeah, it's John the Baptist. It wasn't Elijah. You know what Luke's Gospel says in Luke chapter one, verse sixteen? That John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah. He was the forerunner of Jesus, the first coming. The literal Elijah will come before the second coming of Christ. And it all fits together. There are no contradictions in the Bible. So he says, you know, the Elijah for me coming the first time was John the Baptist. The Elijah coming the second time is the literal Elijah, probably one of the two witnesses that's going to come. This first secret that Jesus shared, no pain, no gain. Suffering leads to glory. Now listen, Peter gets it right. We, we got just a couple minutes. I want to I close with this. Peter was, was one of the ones that was so confused and was even tried to rebuke Jesus when Jesus was like, no, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You can't suffer. Not, not you, Jesus. He didn't really get no pain, no gain. He didn't get the suffering leads to glory at that time, but he did get it later. He did get it right. And I want to close with this. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's just close with this. I know I already said we were going to close with the other. I'm sorry. We pastors do that sometimes. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Watch this. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it all made sense to Peter. And he wrote it down. In his letter, in 1 Peter, and listen to what he says. He, he finally got it right. No pain, no gain. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Aren't you glad we have a living hope in Jesus? Not a dead hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance for us, incorruptible undefiled it does not fade away nobody can take it from you it's reserved in heaven for you listen if you're a believer today you should say amen to that i got something waiting for me that's going to blow my mind that's the game that's waiting for us who are kept by the power of god through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time what's peter saying here no pain, no gain, but there's going to be gain. There's inheritance waiting in the end in heaven for us. Now watch this. This is going to help some of you guys. If you right now are going through pain, suffering, tribulation, difficulty, listen to this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Aren't you glad our suffering and pain is only for a little while? It's not forever forever. It's for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Pain. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why? Because you're going to receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Gain. That, I tell you, you want a passage to encourage you, there it is. Peter says, you may go through some pain now. You may go through some suffering. You may go through some tribulation and persecution. But hang in there, believers. Because there's an inheritance and a gain and a victory and a glory that's waiting that is going to blow you away. No pain, no gain. But pain leads to gain. Suffering leads to glory. I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty stoked about the Olympics. You know how many all like to watch the Olympics? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I think it's about 12 days from now, the Olympic Games start. And boy, you talk to any Olympic athlete, and they'll tell you, no pain, no gain. But when there's pain, there's gain, and it's worth it in the end. And, and one of the stories that we're all going to be following, have you heard about this? Oscar Pistorius. He's a runner from South Africa. He's a double amputee below the knees at 11 months old. He had to have a double amputation. He made this year's Olympic Games. Not the Paralympics, the Olympics. And a lot of people are going to be watching him as he runs. And this is what he said in an interview when he found out that he made the Olympic Games. He said, to have been selected to represent South Africa at the London 2012 Olympic Games is a real honor. And I'm so pleased that years of hard work, pain, and determination, and sacrifice have all come together. He understood. No pain. No gain. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?